0: Did you hear that? What? What? I had a dream last night That That... That noise Was that the horror comedy podcast? With Jake and Haley Sundays and Wednesdays
1: The only podcast where we get high and try to scare you And share short, scary stories
0: Contains marijuana. Keep away from children.
1: I don't know if you can really hear my heartbeat pounding. I swear to God. I can hear it, but I don't know if that's just because my headphone wire is like going across my chest. Like, I, my heart. Is pounding out of my chest today. It's Haley with the Horror Comedy Podcast. I'm so nervous. Number one, because today's episode is intense, you guys. And number two, I'm bringing to you this episode completely solo. I've never done a big episode by myself before, so this is going to be definitely a little bit different and sort of a challenge, but I am very excited. I wanted to bring this episode to you on time, as scheduled, as always, but it just didn't work out. I was, um, yeah, I don't know. It just didn't work out. We had a lot of problems. It's fine. But today we're here, baby. And since I am by myself, I wanted to do a case that's really important to me personally. I think everybody has a murder or, you know, a true crime case that they've heard about that really sticks with them. For me, it's this case. I'm going to tell you tonight the story of Sam Sharkis, a 17-year-old, barely 18-year-old girl who was unfortunately found dead, and I believe, a lot of people believe, and her mother believes, murdered. Um, We are going to talk about some tough things like childhood sexual abuse, as well as sexual assault, rape, drug use, suicide, and violent murder, but... I want you to stick with me because this story is huge. This is a story I've never heard of before. And Crystal, Sam's mother, is constantly fighting to get this story out there, raise funds towards her, her defense. Because, uh, yeah, uh, you're going to find out from the story I'm about to tell you here that everything that we know about Sam's death, we know because her mother Crystal fought tooth and nail to get the information uh like a fucking like that crocodile dentist game you know and like it keeps that was like a terrible analogy but i'm talking about <laughs> sorry like the crocodile game where it has teeth and you have to like push them down and and it like clamps on your hand it's kind of like that i mean the way that sam's mother's being treated is crazy it's really difficult and sometimes it comes back and bites her so without anything else to do you guys Let's get the fuck into it. Uh, Today I'm smoking something. I don't really know. I'm drinking coffee. Mostly we're just letting the coffee do the talking, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, Okay, let's get fucking into it. So yeah, we don't really do a lot of true crime cases around these parts. Uh, I'm sure you know, but this one, it's not very well known and it's it's really, uh, it's kind of personal for me. November 4th, 2017, Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. It was a cold, crisp night. I'm gonna start by playing you a 911 call. So skip ahead if you're not into that kind of thing, and uh, I'll let you kind of get your own feel for the situation before I tell you a little bit more.
0: 911, where's your emergency? I need an ambulance. Where? Okay. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Oh, I need you not one one to talk in the phone, and I need you to slow down so I can hear the address. Okay. I can't hear you. You have to speak into your phone for me. What is the address? 625, South Wells, unit number 20. Slightly in. 625, number 20? Apartment 20. And you said that she cut herself? 625, South Wells. Free up, please. Okay, I need you to take a deep breath for me. What happened? What happened? Somebody cut themselves? What happened? She cut herself. I was in the car. Find up. in the here. Okay, sir, I need to find out. Where did she cut herself? She, she cut herself. She, she hung herself. She, okay. All
1: right, that was just a small snippet of the 911 call. It actually goes on for quite a bit. See what happened is the caller, his name is John Sharkus, and the person that he's referring to, who he keeps he keeps saying she hung herself, she hung herself, is his seventeen year old daughter. Uh, well, she just turned eighteen. His eighteen year old daughter, Sam Sharkus. The clip goes on for actually quite a bit. At one point, the dispatcher instruction instructs him on how to do like chest compressions to keep her alive. Uh, And then at some point he hands the phone off to his friend, Ray, who talks to her. Um, It's very strange. John continues to tell her to hurry up, tell her he's too worried about his daughter. He gives her chest compressions. He's, he's counting out loud, very chaotic. 911 call. I know that 911 dispatchers have a hard job all of the time, but that call was especially on hard mode. That call was placed on November fourth, two thousand and seventeen, and it came in about eleven thirty-four p.m. John Sharkis called nine one one to report his daughter to report his daughter Sam Sharkis. Her name was like Kara Lexi Sharkis, but she went by Sam. And from what I understand, when she was an infant, there was some dispute between the parents over which name would be which. Uh, so take that for what you will. They were staying. John and Samantha were staying at the Wesley Motel in room number 20. John and Samantha had been staying there for a little bit. That night in particular, Samantha had just got off work and came home around nine o'clock, and apparently she was sort of annoyed. She was supposed to go see her boyfriend, but her ride bailed, and now her and her boyfriend were arguing about not being able to see each other. Sam was agitated, so according to her dad, he decided to give her some space, and he went out into the car. He says. He came back about five minutes later, and that was when he saw it. Sam had hung herself. Sam took a blue and white striped towel, wrapped one side around the wooden part of a cabinet, and wrapped the other side around her neck before releasing her weight. I know that that's kind of hard to picture, so um, let me break it down for you a little. When I say she wrapped it around the cabinet, I want you to picture two cabinets, you know, two cupboards, whatever you want to call them. And you know how when there's two next to each other, they'll often share the middle divider for the door. So there's like one cut out if you know, one one rectangle, one rectangle and the hinges attach in the middle piece of wood. That's what I'm talking about. The towel had been wrapped around that separating middle piece of wood from there, it was around her neck and she was dangling. Her knees were bent. Her feet was touching the floor because you're picturing a cabinet being at cabinet height, which is correct in this case. It's not any special cabinet that goes up really high. Any person of average height would be, you know, dangling on the floor on the floor with their knees bent, um, still touching the ground, which was the case for Sam as well. Her knees were bent, her feet were touching the floor, but she was gone. From there, John says that he took the towel out from her neck and set Sam down before running next door to get his buddy, Ray Estrander. So Ray and her come back into the room. They rip off her shirt and then called the cops while John did CPR, I guess. When the police got there, all three were shirtless. Paramedics took Sam to the hospital. She was pronounced brain dead and died shortly after. Five officers ultimately ended up responding to the scene, and they took pictures of everything. They brought up some reports, and they probably went home for the night to their little cop wives or whatever. Sam has a sister named Mercedes, uh, a younger sister named Sarah, who is just too young to really know what's going on, but a sister named Mercedes, who's a bit older, and then, of course, her mother, Crystal. Crystal was devastated, especially uh, Crystal and Mercedes were both devastated to hear the news. And they expected, especially Crystal, expected at least a call from a detective, you know, some updates, some kind of closure, some kind of justice, maybe. And more than that, big time, she expected John to be arrested. John had a really awful past. Like he was for sure a dirtbag. And Crystal knew that. Like for her, this was an opening case shut. You know, open and closed case. She knew exactly what happened. I'm going to give you a little bit of background, and I want you to be aware that some of what we're going to talk about today, right now, is terrible. It's something no girl, no no person should ever have to go through, especially a little girl. Uh, something that no father should ever put their daughter through, but unfortunately, there are fathers out there who do, and that's why we need to talk about it. Sam's story needs to be told. So, here goes. John had majority custody of Sam and her sister, Mercedes. I'm not sure if he had full custody or if he just had them most of the time, but there were times for sure where, just like my relationship with my mother, Sam and Mercedes might not see her, their mother for, you know, more than like once a month or potentially even less, which is definitely hard, but I understand. See, Crystal was actually abused by John when they were still together. In 1987, John beat Crystal In August of 1997, he was prosecuted by District Attorney Philip A. Koss, who's now the Walworth County judge, which is the county in which this happened. Uh, So Koss offered John a domestic abuse deferred prosecution, which was like a one-year period of assessment and mandatory counseling for John. The counselor that John was working with was actually pretty alarmed by John, so he that counselor did continue to keep Crystal in the know, sending her copies of worksheets or anything that she would need to be aware of, anything that potentially spelled out danger for her. Domestic violence is a really tricky thing. A lot of times these abusers will act up once they realize that they might have gone too far. They love Bomb You, you know. They take you out, they buy you things, they, they are that man that you fell in love with for a while. I don't mean man, I mean person, but we're talking about a man, so I'm going to say man. They're going back to being that man that you fall in love with in the beginning, and they're showing you, yes, I can bring you these things that I promised you. Yes, I'm safe. Yes, I'm aware. Yes, I'm sorry. And beyond that, they go above and beyond to purposefully do things. Like complimenting you, loving you, giving you attention that they never otherwise give you. It's called love bombing. It is a fucking thing. And that leads to a sort of honeymoon cycle in these domestic violence patterns. So somebody is nasty and disgusting and beats you. And then they, for lack of a better term, sweep you off your feet And then you are in love with them again and you get that same honeymoon feeling like it's the beginning of the relationship all over again. During this period for Crystal and John, that's when she got pregnant with Sam. By 99, she was three months pregnant with Sam. And the only response was for them to uh, extend the domestic violence program, but it wasn't enough to protect Crystal, unfortunately. One of the judges that John saw for his domestic violence Hearing in 97 was a judge named Judge Race. And we'll just like put a pin in that. Okay. (laughs) That judge. I bring all that up just to say that John has a clear, disturbing history, and that was enough for Crystal to not be able to live with her daughters, unfortunately, which I completely understand. And you know what? Of course she thought that they were safe. I can't stress this enough. Of course she thought they were safe. John might be vulgar and awful to Crystal and have done something violent to her, but he fought for custody of the children. He loved them. From everything that Crystal could see, he really loved them. And, of course, so she had to leave for her own safety, but she believed that he would never do that to their children. John kept the girls isolated while they were growing up. He told them stuff that confused them. And... A lot of people say that he was abusing them as well, and it created sort of what looks like from the outside a Stockholm Syndrome type of situation between them. They definitely had like a, a weird relationship, sorry. One time, John choked Sam and kicked her out of the house. There's some evidence also that points to John giving his kids drugs, even at a really young age. Apparently, at one point, there was a tree growing in their yard, and John made the girls go outside with him and pick which of the trees they would hang themselves from. And then he referred to that tree as their suicide tree. John had showed up to parent-teacher conferences drunk. And there were even whisperings around school of Mercedes and Sam, both being sexually abused by John. The girls were lucky, uh, quote-unquote, to have resource officer Joseph Eklund. He was on the case, he did a little investigati, uh, and he found no foul play, nothing, everything was good. The girls were kids, the girls were safe, it was fine, whatever. Super duper content warning, this next part is awful. It's going to make you mad as fuck. When Sam, and we're going to talk about rape. When Sam was only 16, a scumbag rapist who's actually in prison now where he belongs and hopefully he stays there, but uh, <sighs> Sam was asleep and woke up to a man grabbing her and forcing himself onto her she freaked the fuck out she was screaming to get off she was fighting all that uh but unfortunately he did rape her and when he was done he wouldn't leave sam knew that her dad was home so she got up and she went to her dad john and she was obviously hysterical telling him what happened it was a The most vulnerable moment that any person can have, all you want in that moment is somebody to support you and somebody to get you some help. But her dad actually took the only phones in the house and would not let her have them. He would not let her call the police. And he wouldn't kick Michael Jones, the disgusting fuck who raped his daughter, out of the house. Eventually, thank God, Sam was able to call the police and file a report, and Michael Jones was arrested. He did post bail and have his charges dismissed. As I said, though, he is in prison right now for sexual assault on a child multiple times is the actual name of the charge. So great call there, everyone involved. Uh, yeah, you can look up this piece of shit's face on the uh, Wisconsin Child Sex Offenders website if you really want to. He is disgusting. In 2017, John lost his house. So, Sam, Mercedes, and John all had to find somewhere new to live. At this point, Sam was 16, 17. Mercedes was older. So, I'm assuming she found her own place, because she wasn't living with them. After John lost the house, Sam and John had been staying together at the Wesley Motel. I looked it up, and it is very shady, I would say. Uh, Not the kind of place I would want my children, but I don't know. Um... At this point, Sam and Mercedes were estranged from their mother. But I do want to point out that Crystal did make attempts to take the girls. In 2011, Crystal actually filed a notion for sole custody. She had dozens of copies of police reports that showed abuse, neglect of the children. And guess who her judge was? Judge Race. At the hearing, Judge Race actually issued a bench warrant arrest for Crystal because she had fallen behind on her child support payments. So not only did she not get custody of her children in 2011, but she had to pay this sick fuck to uh, do what he did to them for all those years. So I just wanted to point that out because uh, people are so quick to blame women. And I know that we want to blame somebody, right? (laughs) But. I just want to point out that Crystal did everything she could. Crystal tried. Crystal fucking tried. At this point, Crystal and Sam were not really talking. They were kind of estranged from her. I don't know if their relationship was on good terms or not, but they weren't super involved in each other's lives. It definitely sounds like weird boundaries, both interpersonally uh, between John and Sam and certainly with Sam and her mother. The day before the 911 call, I found some stuff saying that Sam and John were probably, like, drinking and doing drugs together to celebrate his birthday. And then, of course, we had the infamous 911 call, and Sam turned up dead. Nothing about Sam hanging herself sat right with Crystal. And when she saw the name of the detective assigned to her daughter's case, she felt even worse. Get ready get your red flags in the air and and wave them like you just don't care because the detective assigned to Sam's case, are you ready? Detective Joseph Eklund, the same school resource officer who had failed Sam and Mercedes all those years ago as children when he said that everything was fine during a child abuse, neglect case investigation. Crystal mourned the loss of her daughter, and she hurt, and she waited to hear from the detective, but he never called her. Not even once. In fact, Detective Eklund was quick to close the case, only one and a half years after it was even opened. Crystal knew that she had no choice but to assemble her own experts and lead her own investigation, so that's what she did. First, she requested a copy of the police report, and she immediately noticed huge details missing. Oh, oh my God, I didn't even mention. So we have the 911 call, okay? We have all of the shady circumstances around Sam's death. And then 10.29 p.m. on November 4th, 2017, Sam posted a status on her Facebook page. But, I don't know. I'm just going to read it to you guys, and be aware that this is disgusting. It's rough. She posted, at 10.29pm, Who wants to gangbang me? I'll even pay ya. I'm talking about five to eight people shooting me dead. Whoever, whoever participates will always be remembered as my true MVP. Even if one person participates besides me, we're deaf still going to do it. There's some weird emojis thrown in. There's like a hundred, a hundred, you know, like the okay, the praying hands, like, and I went through her Facebook page. Okay. I looked at the stuff. She's, she shares like quotes from books. She, here's a status, for example, that she posted, you can always be better, but as long as you try to be the best you can be, you will never hear that you didn't try. Uh, she posted, I am single no more. Okay. Okay. So, my point is, she. this isn't the type of stuff that she usually posted, but this also isn't the way she types. I'm not kidding. Her Facebook page has been memorialized. Sam's Facebook page has been memorialized, so you can go through it. She doesn't use emojis. And she was very smart. I can, I can see one emoji on this whole ass fucking page. She's very smart. That's not the kind of stuff she posted, and that's just so vulgar. Plus, the use of suspicious emojis... <sighs> And then who would post that if they were planning to hang themselves that night? It just something about it just doesn't add up. <sighs> thank God Crystal got, I'm, I'm assuming it was Crystal, but somebody got that post taken down off of her page and like, thank God, because it doesn't even seem like Sam wrote it, in my opinion. So Crystal was super, super suspicious. Sam's cause of death was ruled as suicide, not homicide, that's for fucking sure. So Crystal knew that she had to assemble her own experts and lead her own investigation. So that's what she did. First, she requested a copy of the police report, and she immediately noticed huge details missing. For one, there was some text messages that were exchanged between Sam and John. In fact, Sam's phone was actually in police custody, but John said to police that it was actually his phone that they took. Okay, and I'm a little confused about that, because there are some videos of John admitting it's his phone and then kind of taking it back, like he wants it to seem like it's Sam's phone. And then somehow, he got the phone back. So... uh, I just don't know. I don't know. It's really ambiguous, but I guess I'm coming from a place of trying to make it make sense. And if it was truly corruption, it's not going to make sense. He They did have some text messages exchanged between the two of them and at some point they were nasty, graphic, pointed conversations, some would say, a motive. There was also videos that Sam took of John doing things like smoking crack. And if you do the math with the timestamps and whatnot, she was probably about 16 at the time. There was one video where she's filming John. uh She's actually asking him if he wants to go to the ER. And you can tell he's high as fuck on some kind of upper. And he is not saying anything. He's just staring at her. And the way he's staring at her is very unsettling. And the whole time she's like, do you need to go to the ER? And he, the way he's glaring at her, I mean, if looks could kill, he would have f- killed her, which I, I I, think he ended up doing anyway. But And then it makes you wonder, why did she feel like she had to take those videos? Was she afraid of him? Or maybe she thought he was going to die and... And she wanted to take, like, man, I don't know. It's just the implications of stuff like that being on her phone is very problematic and troublesome, definitely. Another thing that kind of phone related that comes out during the investigation, and actually that's not even true because it comes out on Facebook because John posted the status himself. But I'm going to read this to you because it's really shady and I want you to pay attention towards the end here. I'm writing this post while reoccurring images and anxiety keeps keeps me from associating with people. But I need people to understand that I have remorse for being a father, mother, parent that has made some egregious mistakes and has put my best foot forward to create a home that would allow creativity and a safe space to speak their mind. I want everyone to know that I walked out of the room at Wesley just to provide some space for Sam to decide whether she wanted to get some sleep. Five minutes later, I pushed the door open with my foot to see my daughter hanging from a towel. I understand when people are making comments not so subtle towards me, and these comments are turning my life minute by minute into days of self-loathing and introspection. I would not even think about ever hurting my daughters, and I would appreciate if people would lay the fuck off or start asking me real questions. I wake up daily, this is the part I want you to pay attention to, I wake up daily struggling to rectify what happened leading up to that moment of unbelievable and frighteningly scary sight, and I only know what I saw, and I want to know exactly what happened the night of November 4th, 2017, at approximately 10.20 p.m. So, in John's words, it happened at 10.20. And I think it's a really interesting thing to say because it's just so specific. And because that Facebook status that we talked about earlier from Sam's Facebook that seemed really fishy was posted at 10.29 p.m. He had access to her phone. I mean, we know that because they might have even been sharing a phone. Regardless, even if they weren't, he had access to her phone. Is he basically admitting that he posted that? I don't know. And even if that's not the point, even if we choose to completely disregard that really specific and creepy thing that he said, uh, this is a weird fucking thing to post. I mean, this is somebody who Desperately wants to control the narrative around his daughter's apparent tragic death. Why? Why? Because he knows how it looks. (laughs) While we're on the topic of John acting crazy and guilty, I want to revisit that nine one one call. I don't know about you guys, but have have any of you guys had to call like nine one one or like your your country's version of nine one one like? I have before, okay, and let's just revisit the call that John made to 911 where he says she hung herself, I was in the car. Okay, so I have been through some disasters in my life, some emergencies. I've had to call 911 for myself, for other people before. Never have I called 911 and told them where I was when the emergency happened. I think that's really fucking weird think that's something that someone would do if they were trying to create an alibi <laughs> i just don't understand where it's so crazy we also talked about ray ostrander who if you recall was john's friend who came into the hotel room to assist when john found sam dead so john uh, uh, ray ostrander has a father named brent ostrander who is a convicted sex offender. Uh, he actually molested a child. Uh, there is also a friend that John has named Kurt Young, who I unfortunately have seen screen grabs of a conversation where Kurt sent John child pornography. Uh, It hurts me. It fucking hurts me. Okay. There's also some photos that are extremely disturbing. And if you check out that Lake Geneva corruption website that we talked about, you're probably going to see these. And they're photos of John, butt-ass naked, holding a child, butt-ass naked. And he's like... Clearly enjoying it in a weird way. And who takes pictures? Like, it's like a mirror selfie. Like, there's no good reason, right? There's no good reason. It's creepy. I think it's evidence of something very sinister. Hmm. And it's also just weird to have those pictures and multiple friends that have been convicted convicted for molesting children. To also have people like that around your daughters is fucking crazy. And it's, to me, a little bit harder for him to say, no, never have I ever had any, like, weird, creepy, pedophile feelings when, like, yes, you have. And even if you, if you, he was to say he hasn't, his friends all have. But actually, he has come out in s- different texts. You can actually see screenshots, um, where he's come out as having struggled with those kinds of feelings before and having struggled with compulsive lying. Uh, He also has threatened Crystal. He sent her death threats, threatened to strangle her, uh, which, you know, is a little bit of a hmm, crazy thing to say for somebody who apparently hasn't strangled anybody before. Uh, And he sent her, like, threats through the mail. He sent her videos of him, like, burning photos of her face, like, and he'll Photoshop all this creepy shit onto her face and then, like, burn it. Yeah, it's weird. It's fucking weird. So one of the times when he threatened Crystal, he, I think it might have been the photo burning one, but honestly, I wouldn't even have to go that far for me to fucking do something about this or call somebody about this because, yeah, I can't imagine how fucking scared she would be. But so she got a threat from him and she made a federal complaint with the FBI. The FBI passed it on to the local police. And, of course, they decided it wasn't serious enough and they closed the complaint with, like, no problem. John also has been capped on screen. Uh, I'm sorry. John's also been capped on Facebook talking about how he's the most protected person in Wisconsin. <sighs> when Crystal saw... Okay, so we did talk about those disturbing photos. The way that those came into circulation was that John actually emailed them to Crystal. Crystal thought they were very disturbing, and she called the family courts in Walworth County and actually had her parental rights restricted pending a custody case, uh, a custody study. The complaint was dismissed. Nothing happened to John. I think it's also really interesting that Detective Joseph Eklund retired in August of 2020. Why'd you cut your career so short, Joe? We love to know. You seem to have made a real positive difference in the lives of many women. Just kidding. You're a piece of shit. Let's talk about the autopsy death investigation report a little bit more. There was no evidence, I'm sorry, there was no mention of the fact that Samantha had a torn earlobe. So, all of my earring wearers out there how many of you have ever torn an earlobe? I mean, I, I personally haven't. I've seen people tear an earlobe. That doesn't happen by accident. Okay. That doesn't happen like, oh, dang, it got snagged. The, that happens in a fight. That happens in, in a car wreck. You know, that happens in dire circumstances that something gets ripped out of your body enough to tear your earlobe in half. And that's not insignificant. But strangely enough her autopsy makes no mention of that at all and I was looking at the death photo I was looking at the crime scene photos and I swear to god you guys I found the earring like the matching earring I'll post that on her Instagram I really don't want to be disrespectful and post too much so I'm not going to post a picture of her torn earlobe All you have to do if you want to see it is go to lakegenevacorruption.com and there's a tab for photos. That's the website that Crystal actually runs herself and she does an amazing job. So you just got to go check it out for yourself. But that's a big detail. And if I can find the missing earring in a photo, there's no reason that it shouldn't be mentioned in either the police report, the autopsy, nothing. There was bruising on the back of Sam's hands and in various spots on her body. There seems to be some cuts on her neck. And the ligature marks across her throat did not go in a straight line. They were almost diagonal. So, I don't know if you guys know about terrible, awful, grim things, but hanging only works because there's gravity pulling you down against the contrast of the rope that's pulling you up. And and those two things will either crack your neck or smother the life out of you because they don't allow passage through the airways. And the implication that gravity is pulling you down and this rope is pulling you up, or in this case, a towel is pulling you up, by default means that the ligature marks would be straight. I mean, I there's no explanation for... I, <laughs> There's no explanation. (laughs) There's no explanation besides she didn't hang herself. There's no reason that the bruising would not go in straight lines, that it would be diagonal, that it would be organically shaped and not straight across the throat. It makes no sense. Even more troubling, there was actually foreign DNA found under her nails and on her pubic area. They did search through their database, but the DNA didn't match with anyone in the system. Oh, Haley, what about her father John? Did it match him? Don't know, because they didn't take a sample from John at all. The police, the detectives, the investigators, nobody, nobody took a sample from John. So we don't know if it's his DNA. Somehow, though, the death was ruled a suicide. In the police report, Detective Eklund does mention going through the phone. And you guys, you're not going to believe it. I'm going to read this part of the police report verbatim. Let me get it pulled back up here. Sorry. Okay, here it is. I mentioned that they did get the phone that was Sam's, but I guess her dad claimed it was his, and and there's some evidence that suggests that they might have both been using the phone. Okay, so they did... Investigators and Detective Eklund specifically did get the phone, and they did go through the phone. They found... Naked pictures of Sam on the phone, and based on the date and time stamps, they were child pornography. Okay, she was underage when they were taken. And this part I'm going to read to you verbatim from the police report. (sighs) Naked photos deleted out. That's all. That's all. So, photo, they just delete the, uh, I mean I can't like I'm so frustrated <laughs> I'm so frustrated I feel like screaming because if you found naked photos of a minor why would you just delete them especially if there was some confusion as to whose phone it was and it doesn't matter the context okay it doesn't matter if she took the pictures or somebody else took the, it doesn't matter why would you delete them without doing an investigation into them it makes no sense they're illegal images illegal (laughs) sam's older sister mercedes i believe she's actually currently in jail and john sent this to crystal it's a message on on facebook messenger and she he says that someone told him that his daughter Mercedes is in jail telling everyone that he molested her and her sister their whole lives and you killed Sam and that's why she hates you and why she robbed you. So Mercedes is in jail for uh, armed robbery. Apparently it was her dad that she armed robbed and it's really interesting that all of these people have had run-ins with the law. Okay, we've talked about Crystal, John, now Mercedes, all of them have had run-ins with the law, and the only one who's been punished, the only one who hasn't been punished at all is John. So there is a weird pattern of John having some sort of invincibility cloak when it comes to the law around here, while it seems to fall pretty heavily on those that are around him. Shortly after Sam's murder... John set up a meeting with Lake Geneva City Attorney Dan Draper and Walworth County D.A. Zeke Widenfield to show them his cute little art project called an exoneration exoneration sheet. Probably it was like good letter stock, right? But it explicitly said that the district attorney would not bring charges against John. Detective Eklund helped set up the meeting on the basis that John had mental health problems and didn't deserve to go to jail. That's rich, right? (laughs) The exoneration sheets. uh, They included questions such as, Do you believe that my daughter's passing was in fact a a suicide, or are there unanswered questions that I may help to clear up? Do you have other suspects still being looked at? In other words, do you believe Samantha's passing was truly self-induced? If this is a truly non-investigative case at this point, what do I need to do to obtain the actual phone you are keeping in evidence, and if I have a legal to get the ob- a legal way to get the object, how do I go about doing this? Am I a suspect? Was there anything under Samantha's nails that showed DNA other than herself? Are you still investigating others or myself? You made claim you would work on getting an apartment for me? Have you considered her boyfriend as a suspect? Is anybody else being considered... I don't know, it's like, I've had people close to me die, right? Well, of course, it wasn't uh, under such strange circumstances, but never in my life have I ever had somebody I love die, and then I started asking if I'm a suspect. Never, 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 never. Uh, and I think that's a really fucking weird thing to ask, if you truly had nothing to do with it. But we all know that he did. Yeah. Yeah. So Crystal tried to get the crime scene photos, which now we know that she did, thankfully, because we have them available on lakegenevacorruption.com. But at first, it was quite, quite the process. The police were enforcing these crazy-ass fees to try to dissuade her from getting these photos. They charged her $220 for audio recordings. They charged her a mandatory transcription fee, they charged her for photos, and on top of it, they legitimately printed these photos on a fucking, like, shit-grade printer paper before sending it to her. So it's right out in the open. It's not on a CD. It's worst resolution possible. Somehow, Crystal did get the photos, thank God. Some other things that I haven't got the chance to mention yet. Dan Draper, who we talked about, he's a city attorney, He's actually been John's personal attorney for a long time. In Wisconsin, if you're next of kin, you do have rights to records. It's actually illegal to be doing what they're doing to Crystal, stonewalling her like that. And I can also see here that there is some controversies, controversies around death investigations in Wisconsin in general, because actually you don't have to be trained to be a coroner. All you have to do to become a coroner is to become elected. So just get more votes than anybody else running against you. So neighbor Tom, the trash man, could become a coroner if he's more popular than you. It seems like a free-for-all for anybody who likes to do homicides. Crystal's been stonewalled out of getting justice for her daughter Sam every turn. And the least we can do is share her story here and at least try to expose it, bring it to light... And get Sam fucking justice. I do have the link to Crystal's GoFundMe in our bio. If you have anything to contribute, I would definitely recommend throwing in a couple of dollars to help her get this case solved. Crystal, I think about y'all every day. Uh, This case hits so close to home for me just because my biological father was abusive. And he was also hugely protected by... By his family, by the people around him, by everybody, you know. And even still, all these years later, like, he's still more protective than I ever was, even as a child. And man, I'm telling you, I I ran away from his house. I mean, I I left in the middle of the night at his house. And um, if I didn't, I think he could have killed me. And this case really just hits home for me. I understand that fear better than anyone. So, we're going to keep going and we're going to keep talking about it and we're going to keep trying to raise funds for Sam because she deserves justice. I'm sorry that this wasn't a more fun episode, you guys. <laughs> It's the first solo episode I've ever done by myself. My heart was racing when we started. I think we're definitely due for a happy story, although there's nothing that will actually bring up the mood after this. But uh hey, I, you can't hate me for trying, right? Okay. An Alaska woman had the scare of a lifetime when using an outhouse in the backcountry, and she was attacked by a bear from below. I got out there and I sat on the toilet and immediately something bit me on my butt as I sat down. I jumped up and screamed when it happened. Stevens, her brother Eric, and his girlfriend had taken snowmobiles into the wilderness on February 13th to stay at his yurt, located about 20 miles northwest of Haines in southeast Alaska. Her brother heard the screaming and went out to the outhouse about 150 feet away from the yurt. There he found Shannon tending to her wound. At first they thought she had been bit by a squirrel or a mink or something small. So Eric grabbed his headlamp to see what it was. He said, I opened the toilet seat and there's just a bear face and there's just a bear face right there at the level of the toilet seat, just looking right back up at me through the hole, right at me. I shut the lid as fast as I could, and I said, There's a bear down there, we gotta get out of here now. And we ran back to the yurt as fast as we could. Once safely inside, they treated Shannon with a first-aid kit. They determined it wasn't that serious, but they would head to Haines if it worsened. It was bleeding, but it wasn't super bad. The next morning, they found bear tracks all over the property, but the bear had left the area. You could see them come across the snow coming up the side of the outhouse. They figured the bear got inside the outhouse through an opening at the bottom of the back door. I expect it's probably not that bad of a little den in the winter, Shannon said. And that is an article called Alaska Woman Using Outhouse Attacked From Below by Bear. Thanks, Yahoo News. We love ya. I hope that you guys enjoyed this episode of the horror comedy podcast. Let me think let me know what you think. I've never ran a solo one before. It's great it's crazy if you like the podcast the best way to support us is to leave us a review or don't and just hang out with us on social media instead we're on instagram at thc podcast on facebook at the horror comedy podcast and on twitter at comedy podcast we love hearing from you send us a fucking meme i don't care anymore could be a scary story could be nothing i mean send me your hopes and dreams fuck it yolo like let's do this I love you guys. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to drink water.